Welcome to the only and best ODU podcast in the world. We are the Monarchist. I'm Mike, and I'm joined by Aaron, as always, and also Gary. We are going to preview the UVA game tonight, but before we get to that, we have to talk about the trip to Greenville. The ODU defense puts up three quarters of amazing effort, but succumbs late, and ECU pulls away 39-21. to 21. So, fellas, what are your over- overall thoughts on the game? Very tough opponent in East Carolina. Uh, I thought they were well prepared for that game, <clears throat> well coached, executed well. Um, I think I, I walked away from that feeling like East Carolina was a much tougher opponent than Virginia Tech. Some good things, some bad things. I know we'll get into it a little bit later, but I uh, really can just do nothing but tip your cap to East Carolina, the whole nailers, and their entire defense. Yeah, they had a great game plan. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But we had a difficult time getting anything going. When we did, it was fast, uh, and the defense spent a lot of time on the field. But uh, it was a great ECU team. They should be 2-0 and right now. Yeah, I can't argue with any of that. Uh, I will say Keaton Mitchell is as fast as advertised. Like, that dude can scoot. And when you're tired, it's hard to catch up on that. Yeah, he is, uh, he is really quick. I, I... I know Mike, you, and Aaron were actually down there in Greenville. I was uh, at home, uh, luckily not at a wedding, but I was at home being able to watch it. What was the atmosphere like down there? I think the rain put a damper on it a little bit. They had a little bit less than what they were hoping to get. I think it was about 38,000. The student section was about three-quarters filled, and the center areas, uh, there was a lot of purple seats left. But for however many people there were, they got loud at appropriate times. But it never really got close enough to, to you know, for the, the fans to have to get really loud. I'll say this. the Whoever the DJ is or whoever's controlling the music at Dowdy Ficklin, uh, they use their tools and their speakers to full capacity. They're getting a lot of efficiency out of that system. They are bumping it. The mu- They're playing loud, loud music as loud as possible up until that moment when the refs are like, it's clear that play is about to start. Um, it's making the stadium that much louder and that much harder to communicate in, even without fans. So when the fans were loud and then you add in that, that, that music on top of it, it was pretty loud at times. Uh, but yeah, as Aaron, Aaron said, it wasn't, it felt like they built a stadium too big for their, their fans. I know they could fill it with ACC teams. Uh, and I know weather had an impact there, but that would be an amazing crowd at like a 35,000-seat stadium. That would have been rocking. But instead, because it's so big, you just see all these empty seats, and it just kind of puts a damper on everything. I will say that they do a great job with the production, kind of adding on to what Mike was saying the videos, what they've got going on on the video board, uh, really high quality. Some of the some of the stuff is funny as well. It's a class. I mean, it's just a class act, you know, going in, raising the flag, hoisting the colors, no quarter in the fourth quarter of raising. They do a great job. It's a good place to watch a football game. I'll say, so at, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, they raised the no quarter red flag with the ECU Pirate on it. And I got annoyed because they do this amazing video that looks like a Hollywood production. And they play this cool music. And then it's like, raise the flag. And then you look over to the flagpole and it's already been raised. Yeah, it's, it was they raised it too early. Can we can we have some like 
cohesiveness here for this big production. Um, but it, it was definitely a cool video. Yeah, and I, I know that the, the field looked uh, like a sloppy mess for the most part. I know it had been raining pretty much all day, and that's something we typically don't have to deal with at ODU, having that turf field that drains so nicely. So uh, glad to see we weren't slipping, slipping and sliding too much and that we brought the, uh, the long cleats for this one. Yeah, so I, I want to talk about a couple things at the stadium. So there's a lot of complaints about Ballard, things that are weird. Um, on the home side of ECU Stadium, it's beautiful. It's got this brick walkway, really nice bathrooms, really big concession areas. They have this really cool media area where you can see the media production as it's going on live uh, through just like a plate glass window. But then you go to the visitor side, it's just all concrete. The drainage is terrible. There's porta potties everywhere, and there's food trucks and tents. So anyone that thinks ODU's behind the scene, like just behind the eight ball and stadiums, go to that visitor section, and you'll feel a lot better about Ballard and what it is. I'll get off the soapbox now. Well, they made it look good on TV. I will. I will say that, and they made it sound loud on TV. Uh, but I want to give a shout out to the Old Dominion band. Uh, the only thing you can hear when ECU had a third down and they were on offense was Old Dominion's band playing. So shout out to the uh, Old Dominion marching band. One of the earlier comments I heard from ECU fans during the game was our band was louder than their band. And they have a big band. They have a big band. If we didn't bring our whole band down, we maybe brought like one fourth. So the comparison was like, we had maybe like one-sixth the size of their band, and they were still bumping the tunes out pretty loud. Now that's the most I have heard the Old Dominion fight song at an away game on TV ever. It was it was pretty uh, pretty awesome to hear that. It kind of sounded like an ODU home game if, uh, if you weren't looking at the TV. All right, so Gary, you wanted to highlight a couple drives in this game. Uh, let's get to it. Yeah, well, I really want to look at the, the defensive side of the ball first. Um, I, I thought overall the defense played pretty well. Uh, where we really had some problems were third and fourth downs and stopping those third and fourth down conversions. I mean, it was it was brutal uh, pr pretty much the whole night. Um, what I noticed from rewatching the film is that third down when it was you know, six plus, uh, we really didn't bring that much pressure. We were bringing three guys, four guys, and that those front three or four just could not get to Ehlers quick enough. Uh, and when they did start to get to him, he was able to step up in the pocket. There was no one there in the second level because they were all dropped back kind of in a quarters defense. And you give a experienced and solid quarterback like Holden Ehlers time, he will pick apart your zone. Uh, I thought the receivers for East Carolina did a good job moving to open space and Ehlers found them. Uh, so really not, not putting a lot of pressure on those third and fourth downs hurt us. Because if you look at first and second down, we're sending five, six, seven guys back there. Ayler's running for his life, and he's really not able to do a whole lot. So those third and fourth down conversions were, were really, really important. Uh, and if you want to highlight one drive on the defense where I think the field tilted after that drive. Like, we're really – the defense, they, they gave it everything they had, and they were pretty gassed after that with that second touchdown drive that East Carolina had. Uh, they started the drive at their own 10 uh, they ended up with a third and 10 on that drive. Uh, we dropped nine in coverage, rushed two, found a soft spot in the zone between the levels, got a first down. We ended up 
in that drive, actually backing them up to about their own 15 or so uh, on, a, on a big ECU penalty. Uh, ended up with a late hit that continued the drive. Ended up being a 13-play, 90-yard drive that stretched six minutes to give them their second touchdown. Uh, really, I, I felt like the air kind of went out of the defense a little bit after that. They still made some big plays and made some stops, but when you look at time of possession and where we could have had them punting from the shadow of their own goalpost in that game when it was still very, very close, uh, that drive, that second touchdown drive is really where I noticed that you know, the, the defense just could not get off the field and ECU end up scoring. One thing I want to say about Ehlers is uh, I knew – we all knew about his separated shoulder on his non-throwing arm before the game. I'm really impressed by that guy's toughness. Um, he got hit hard quite a bit in the first quarter, and I kept thinking, oh, it's going to impact him. It's going to impact him. No, it didn't impact him at all. And it, that is a tough son of a gun to, to play with that injury – and keep getting hit and just keep getting up and keep just chucking. Like, I mean, he would, I'm impressed. Yeah, totally. I mean, like Gary was talking about in those early downs, we were bringing a lot of pressure and he was running for his life. He was hitting the ground, but it was almost like, you know, those things weren't affecting him at all or, or there was no cumulative effect because on those tough third downs, he was finding a way to either make a tough throw Sometimes while getting hit, the receivers made some nice plays in the balls, you know, to, to catch some some fairly deep passes there. Um, but they always seem to just be able to pull, you know, pull that rabbit out of their hat for that, whether it was a short or a long third down just to keep the drive going. Yeah, and Old Dominion did a good job of hitting him early. I mean, if you watch that first drive, OD was hitting him. I don't know if they got a sack on the first drive, but you saw times where he was coming back up to the line after a play shaking out that non-throwing hand. Uh, you could tell that it was hurting him a little bit. And then the, the drive I talked about there, the second touchdown drive, we had three sacks on that drive. And one of them, Jason Henderson, about took his entire upper body off when he came in and hit him. Uh, but they just kept coming back. They had a, also on that drive a third and 25. And we really went into an umbrella coverage. And you know, warned you about it last week with Mitchell. If you let him get outside, he is going to run. They give the ball to Mitchell in that third and 25. It makes it a fourth and eight. We come out showing a lot of pressure as they come up to the line. East Carolina calls a timeout. When they come back out there, we drop we drop eight into coverage. Ehlers picks us apart, gets the first down. A couple plays later, they score. Uh, so just we're throwing everything at them. Um, I, I just do wonder – why we were not applying a little bit more pressure on those third downs because of the success we were having on first and second. Yeah. Some of those, uh, some of those fourth down attempts, I wasn't sure if East Carolina was going for it legitimately because they thought they had a great chance of getting it, or they were just trying to avoid their kicking game and lack of confidence in kicking field goals. It ended up working out for them. It would have been interesting to see if, if they had a little bit more confidence in the kicking game, how it would have gone. That's just that part of the field where a lot of call sheets are going to go for it if the the down and distance is reasonable. It's just a very tough kick for most college kickers. Add in the rain and add in a kicker who had a very tough week last week. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer. because If you punt, you're kind of putting yourself in an even harder position. It's, it's just as likely you're going to put it in the end zone and barely giving them any difference in where you're at right there 
Um, these were these were less than forty yard kicks. I'm talking about the ones between thirty and forty yard line, because those were where most of those were happening. Yeah, some of those times they were going for it on fourth down. It was still early in the game when the field was really, really wet. Like, I feel like you had a lot of rain pregame and early in the game, and we had that window where the field actually kind of dried out a little bit. Then it started raining again towards the end of the third. But, yeah, they, they didn't seem to have much confidence uh, in their kicker. Uh, we kind of blew up their special teams a little bit. I mean, two PATs blocked. Uh, the one by Jason Henderson was pretty impressive because he wasn't on the line of scrimmage when he blocked that one. He's about three or four yards off, timed it perfectly, shot a gap, uh, and, and just blasted back there. Uh, and then, you know, Devin Epps Brant blocked the other PATs. I thought he had a really good game um, on the right side of that defensive line, had a sack, uh, blocked the extra point. He just straight bull rushed that offensive line and got his big paw up there and blocked it. So uh, I thought he played well. We rotated a lot of guys on defense, especially in that third quarter when – They've been on the field, I mean, so much. I mean, the, the split at halftime, Old Dominion run 18 offensive plays. East Carolina run 47. That is is pure insanity. Uh, but I didn't see a a big drop-off in talent as those guys were rotating in. You're talking 8-9 on the defensive line, uh, 4-5 at the linebacker spot. I uh, saw a lot of guys coming in in the, in the defensive backfield. Uh, so it, it, a lot of guys got some playing time. We were able to balance it out, but – you can't have your defense be on the field for that long. Yeah, I think – I mean, it was hard for me to tell. Um, I'm assuming that Jason Henderson was cramping. He looked like he was trying to stretch it out on the side. They were trying to hydrate him. He went into the tent. I lost kind of track of time. But it seemed like it was eight, nine minutes, and uh, the defense continued to be on the field at that point. Obviously, he's a he's a difference maker out there, and he's flying around all over the place. Uh, where well, they were trying to get get him right, and he did come back into the game. That was kind of a critical point in the game as well. I want to offer one more note on the field goal situation. I have never heard a crowd erupt as loud as they did for routine kicks. They hit one extra point, and you would have thought they won the game on it. I mean, that that crowd was rocking for those those easy routine kicks. Um, yeah, I just started laughing. Like this is wild. Well, what I found interesting, it was almost like they started they started cheering and making noise as he's coming out. Like they were trying to uh, distract him. It was interesting. They started making a ton of ton of ton of noise. I thought they were trying to show him support. Like, hey, we still got your back. Well, they may have, but it was it was so many times. It was interesting. I thought it would be kind of a cool tradition if you could do that where you just made a shit ton of noise when your kicker came out he got used to it that's how he always kicked and then when the opposing team came out to kick obviously you were making that noise and you know it was bad news for the for those guys but yeah they i mean they were they were making a ton of noise every time he was trotting out there ready to go it it almost reminded me of something that used to happen at the ted during basketball games uh, especially early on if uh, you know the team ODU is playing, you know ODU is getting all these fouls called on them. They finally call one on the other team, and the arena just erupts in this gigantic sarcastic clap, like "Thank you for finally calling a foul." I think there was a little bit of uh, sarcastic nature to that. With congratulations, you just hit an extra point or banged in a thirty-yarder. Um, but you know, it, it was it was a tough week for him last week. Uh, it probably cost ECU from starting seven and zero. 
they're likely going to be six and one. Uh, so it's a tough, tough week for him. But, uh, yeah, glad we were able to, to get in his head a little bit with some of those blocks. All right. Second drive. You said you want to do one more drive, right? Yeah, the, uh, the the third touchdown drive for East Carolina. Um, I mean, that whole drive got extended by penalties. There was a big pass interference call. There was a late hit out of bounds. Second pass interference call that really just extended that drive and got them down there and ended up scoring a touchdown. Um, I, I did think it was, it was interesting. Uh, Trey Hawkins made a great defensive play on Winstead on second and goal. Uh, you know, all these defensive pass interference calls are going. Winstead has Trey Hawkins by the back of the jersey the entire route when the ball is in the air. No call whatsoever. The ref is standing there. He, Winstead had two handfuls of Trey Hawkins jersey. No call. Uh, next play is, is third and goal. They get the little shovel pass touchdown. Um, I, I'm sure Coach Ronnie was all over the referees because there was a missed OPI earlier. Um, but, I mean, you, you third and goal from the 17 is a lot different than third and goal from the two. Um, so I, I thought penalties were a big, big issue on that third touchdown drive. Um, and, and really, that drive was, was one that hurt. We, we blocked the PAT after that and kind of kept ourselves in the game and had a chance. But the penalties on that drive, you know, I think two were legit. One was a little bit questionable, missed OPI, but got to clean up some of those penalties. But I think part of that is the result of that defense being so tired and fatigued. Saw that with some missed tackles in the second half. Um, you know, it, it's, it's going to happen if they stay out there a lot longer. They're going to miss tackles. ECU's got a lot of really talented guys, a lot of really elusive guys. I thought Ehlers, you know, I don't think he's that fast, but he reminded me kind of of the Baker Mayfield, Johnny Manziel elusiveness where he could just make guys miss. I mean, if you're making Jason Henderson miss a tackle on you in open space, you're doing something right. Um, so, yeah, just that, that, that third touchdown drive was, uh, was definitely a killer. It was definitely a killer. So we were at the game. We were drinking beers, obviously. It's kind of hard for me to track exactly which where which score was that? Was that the fourteen or this? Is that the one that put us to sixteen? Uh, that was the one that put us to twenty-two or twenty-three. Okay. Mitchell's big touchdown run is what made it twenty-nine and basically put the game out of reach. All right. So I'm just trying to track where in my head where that that was. All right. Yeah, that's that score felt like a big score. Yeah, that that was the one where we knew the defense was just kind of me and Aaron looked at each other like it's kind of it's we're gonna need a miracle at this point. Um, and I, I think we talked to you about it during the game. We needed a long, slow offensive drive at some point to give those guys a chance to rehydrate and just catch their breath, and then never came. We had a couple. Nice drives, but uh, they they were too good. They were too fast. Yeah, it was it was kind of weird offensively. It was feast or famine. I mean, we had a, a two play seventy five yard drive. Uh, throw in the uh, pass interference um, that that Koontz was able to draw. It was really three plays seventy five yards. Then coming out of halftime, five plays seventy five yards. So it was nice to see the quick strike. I will never turn down a, a quick touchdown, uh, but. You know, just with that combined with the fact that the other drives were pretty quick, three and outs, maybe we got a first down, and then we're off the field. It, it just really set that defense up to have to be out there far too long. Can we talk quickly about 
the defensive uh, delay of game? Because I have no idea what happened. I, I could never figure out what happened. I, I think they were saying that there were too many guys on the defense clapping, trying to simulate the snap. Uh, I looked on the film and I couldn't see it. I mean, the, the camera angles weren't weren't the best for looking at something like that. Um, but yeah, that was that was a weird penalty considering a lot of our defensive play calls come in as like someone is clapping to get a defensive back's attention to call the coverage. Um, so I, I hope that doesn't become a trend because we're going to have to change our signs up a little bit. I will say the fans, all the East Carolina fans behind us were in utter shock. And they're like, what was that? I've never seen that before. What was even of, called there? All of them assumed it was on ECU. So they're all yeah. pissed off. Like, what, what, we didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then when they made the call, they were like, really? What? That's a thing? The second, was, second weirdest. Take at the situation. Uh, second weirdest penalty I've seen this weekend with, uh, I can't remember if it was the Bears or the 49ers. It was in that game. They got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for bringing a towel on the field to drive the football. Uh, that was a that was another odd call. Just just don't want that to be become a trend where they start flagging little ticky tack stuff like that because can't can't afford it, especially in a game like that. There there were a couple moments in the game where there were penalties called, but there were long delays or not even flags thrown to even signify that there was a penalty. I know there was a PI that we, that helped us out on the drive, but there was never a flag thrown, and they were already lined up at the next play about to run it when they finally sprang, uh, blew the whistle and called the penalty. Like, the, the gap between when the penalty and the play ended and when they actually called the penalty, it felt like so long. I. I looked at the guy next to me who was an ECU fan and said, I don't think I've ever seen that big of a gap before a penalty call. A lot of weird stuff all night like that. And that was weird. And there's also the review for targeting on East Carolina. I was going to ask you about that. Was that supposed to be on Hayden or was that on the receiver? I... It, it was on the defensive line and Hayden got lit up on that play. But, you know, watching it live, it didn't look dirty. I mean, head was up contact was to like the basically the stomach like hit him right in the gut never even crossed my mind that it was targeting so then went to review it i couldn't figure it out but on the broadcast they talked about when he first breaks through the line the defensive lineman had his head down crowned the helmet out but well before he made contact it was face mask to gut really like kind of a, a form tackle on hayden you know he had just released the ball it wasn't roughing or anything like that but that was like a a five minute delay that really just kind of just took any momentum from either side. I thought it was kind of weird, but it was absolutely not targeting. wasn't close. I'm, I'm glad they didn't, you know, call a phantom foul on that. And, and then the kid for East Carolina gets kicked out for the first half of the next game too. Yeah, we couldn't. Well, even on the replays at the stadium, we knew there was not no targeting there because you're looking at both receiver and Hayden, and you're like neither one of those is targeting. So let's just keep, keep this moving. Like it's pretty obvious from first watch. Absolutely. Thank you for telling me that, Gary, because I was curious which of the two uh, bad calls it would have been. Yeah, it was it was interesting because there was some contact with the receiver, but nothing that would have would have brought it up. But yeah, interesting stuff from the referees. I believe those were Sunbelt officials, too. So kind of our first taste of that. Let's talk about the offense, Gary. Yeah. So uh, offensively, you know, OD did a lot of things right on those quick strike drives. 
Hayden had time, made big plays. Um, it, it, the obvious standout is Ollie Jennings, uh, now leads the country in receiving yards, uh, had three touchdowns. They were trying to double him. Uh, they were putting a, a corner and a safety on him, and he was getting loose. A lot of creative play calling to, to get him open. Uh, that, that second touchdown catch that he had to start the second half, um, Javon Harvey is in the slot. Ollie is outside. Harvey actually signals to Hayden before the snap that he is going to run an out route and tips to Ali that that's what's going on. He runs about a 10-yard out. The corner bites in on him, and Ali is wide open in the end zone. So a lot of, a lot of good creativity uh, to, to get Ali in the end zone wide open. The line blocked well. Um, really, really like to see that. But uh, you start backtracking what went wrong on all the other drives, and, and you have to start at the middle of the offensive line. Uh, credit to East Carolina. Uh, they did a lot of stunts. They put someone right over top of Xavier Black. They knew Leroy Thomas was going to be helping him double, and they actually came at Leroy a little bit late. They would have the original nose tackle kind of take both of them. Someone comes in, hits Leroy, and got right into the backfield. But Hayden faced pressure up the middle on almost every single dropback, and that, that just can't happen. They have to find a way to shore up the middle of that offensive line or teams are going to take that blueprint that you saw Virginia Tech use. You've now seen East Carolina use it. I promise you that Virginia is going to use it with their four-man front. If The hardest thing for a QB to deal with is pressure up the middle. If it's on the outside, you can move. But when it comes at you right up the middle, you can't step up in the pocket. You can't get outside. It really just disrupts the entire play. So you want to talk about an opportunity where we can grow the most? We've got to fix that up the middle. And I'll give Xavier Black credit. He had the one snap early that was more of a timing issue on that first drive. But beyond that, his snaps were good, considering that he was basically snapping from a, a pile of grass soup the majority of the game. So the snapping got better, uh, but the blocking up the middle, got to do something with that. And, and opening up the offense might help that as well. Two things. So there was one other snap that was questionable, and it was one of the most impressive things I've seen from Hayden. He catches it one-handed. Uh, beautiful catch, and he gets it out. Of, he, I think he got it and threw it pretty quickly after that. It was a just a pretty baller play by Hayden, to be honest. Um, secondly, this feels a lot like the situation a couple years ago. I guess it was 19 when uh, they realized uh, the first game we actually were able to throw, uh, and then we played UVA. We were still throwing. And then the, the defense has figured out, oh, we can just stack the box against this team. And they'll, they're not going to be able to do anything because they're going to try to run it, run it, run it, run it. So we, we're kind of at this crossing point where we can fix the situation or we can keep trying this thing that's not working and hope it gets better. Um, obviously, that season, we didn't have the pieces to improve. This season's a little different. I think we have the, the pieces. We just need to figure out the best combination on the line. Yeah, and East Carolina schematically, I mean, very well coached. They executed their game plan almost to perfection up the middle, but they took away the thing that we want to do most, and that's run between the tackles. We want to give Blake Watson the ball 20 times. We want to get three to five yards carry up the middle, and they were able to kind of kill two birds with one stone by putting that pressure up the middle. Couldn't run up the middle, and then getting pressure on Hayden up the middle, and we, we couldn't do a lot from the passing perspective 
when they were able to get that pressure in. Uh, th that's not something you want to see because if, if you make Old Dominion one-dimensional or really any team one-dimensional, you can disguise that pressure. You can bring those late blitzes like East Carolina did so well and, and just make it hell for a quarterback to operate. Like You can put the love child of Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady in the backfield. If he has two 300-pound defensive linemen basically making contact with him when he finishes his drop, it's not going to go well. And you saw that a lot throughout this game with East Carolina. They executed it well. And, I mean, they're, they're a good defense. They're, they're a better defense than Virginia Tech, I think. Yeah, man, absolutely. So you talked about Ali, and obviously he had a phenomenal game. I mean, eight catches, 200 yards, three touchdowns. But let's talk a little bit about Jordan. Jordan Bly, six catches, 67 yards. Are we seeing our number two emerge here? And it looked like it. He was able to get in space, get underneath out of the slot, made some big plays for us. Um, you know, he, he slipped and fell on that third and 12 and ended up about a yard short early in the game. Uh, we had a couple drives that ended like just a little short, whether it was a, a slip on the wet turf and definitely can't blame him for that. I mean, that, the place was soup early on. Um, but, you know, we had a couple drop passes on third down in that first half where that could have extended the drives, kept the defense off the field possibly given us some points um, but to see Jordan Bly kind of step up and have some big catches in traffic some good runs after the catches I mean we're we're, we're gonna need that um, because I don't know if any of you were able to, to watch what they were doing to Zach Koontz but it, it's it's almost painful to watch the bracket they put on him it's defensive back and linebacker uh, the, the one time he got single coverage the entire night was on that touchdown drive, he drew the pass interference going down the field. And smart play by East Carolina, because if they don't get the P.I., he's going to catch that for a touchdown. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that with Ali kind of really getting some notice from a lot of people and Bly emerging, that maybe that loosens up on, on Zach Coons. Like, I know he's, he's big, I know he's good, but there's not much you can do when you're just getting double teamed the entire freaking game. Yeah, you got to make it so painful on the defenses where they're just getting eaten up, where they finally have to relent and say, "Okay, we've got to we've got to move some people around. We can't throw so much at Koontz, you know." But you got to pick your poison. Right now, that seems to be the poison that they're picking, and um, I think we got to figure that out a little bit. Zach's too big of a weapon to not be able to get the ball in his hands more often. I think defenses have learned if you let him get cooking, you're going to wear the defense out because he can almost act like a running game for you where you feed it to him over and over and over again and extend drives, go slow, mix in a little bit of run in there. Um, maybe they'd rather have Ali burn them a few times a game, get his uh, eight catches for 100 yards and because that's not going to wear the defense out. It's, it's those – those grinded out plays thrown to the tight end where he's getting it at an eight yard catch, turning it upfield, putting a hurting on their, their, their secondary as they try to tackle him. And I'm, I'm just assuming that's probably what they're thinking. Um, it changes the way we play a lot. Um, I'm hopeful though, that with how explosive he has been, that I agree with you that I hope they start keying in on Ollie a little bit more. And it opens up things for everyone else. 
And establishing a running game will help that quite a bit too, because it makes those linebackers cheat up a little bit more, makes you question, is this a passing down or a running down? Um, that, that will free up Zach. I, I liked what we did coming out of halftime where we really got back to kind of a more of a, a, a 21 look um, where we've got a little bit more beef on the field, uh, putting Zach in motion right behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, I, I thought Hayden Wolf executed that drive really well with an RPO uh, concept. Uh, it, everybody was moving to the right. The defense was moving to the right, had the option to hand it off to Blake Watson. He pulls it back in, throws the ball down the field, gets a big first down and kind of just disrupted what ECU wanted to do on that drive. And then it was five plays, 75 yards for a touchdown. Um, you know, later in the game, we had a, a big holding penalty that set up a, a third and 20 uh, that, that really set us back on that. Like we were a couple of little plays away on offense from probably taking away 10 minutes of time of possession from East Carolina, whether it was, you know, a drop, uh, you know, slipping on the wet turf, uh, holding penalty, you know, those plays are like small, but they're really important when you look at how this game ended up stacking up with the quick strike offense. Um, th- there's plenty of room for, for improvement uh, on the offensive side. I do want to give a shout out to Blake Watson. I, I know he didn't have a great game running the ball. He didn't get a lot of touches, but I can't tell you how many times he was blocking an unblocked 300 pound defensive tackle who's coming in at full speed. Uh, that set up one of our touchdown drives, a big block that he had in the backfield. You know, Blake Watson, he's, he's not as big as a defensive tackle, but no fear going right at it, blowing guys up, buying Hayden some time. So that's not going to show up in the stat sheet, but uh, that, that's why another reason why Blake is our starter is how good he is in pass protection, just fearless back there. Yeah, and you throw the stat sheet away when you only get five carries. I mean, he was still productive in those five carries. Very. So, yeah. So, I mean, don't give him a hard time on what he did or didn't do. I mean, he blocked well. He pro- produced when he did get the ball. But we didn't just have long enough drives to even give him the ball. I mean, we pretty much abandoned the run in the second half, and we went all pass. And what people won't know is there was a guy sitting behind me that apparently Blake Watson's family gave him a poncho out outside when it was raining and it saved him from being a drowned rat. So two thumbs up to Blake Watson's family also. Yeah. And, you know, I know that people will, will it's, it's low hanging fruit to go after the quarterback after a game like that. Uh, but I don't actually think that Hayden played that poorly, to be honest. I mean, he was under pressure. He completed some big passes while getting absolutely popped in the backfield. I mean, he took a lot of hits, completed a lot of passes, ended up going 18 for 29, 275, three touchdowns and an interception. And I know one of those drives was, was late in the game. Uh, the interception is, is kind of interesting because there was, there was openings on that. Like he was throwing it to the right person. The throw is not off of his back foot. That's probably Ali Jennings fourth touchdown of the game. Uh, but at, at left tackle, Kunta got absolutely bull rushed by East Carolina. Uh, Hayden had not even fully completed his fake to Watson before he was getting hit on that play. So, um, uh, so that was actually on, on the strip sack where he got strip sacked. He was uh, kind of suspect to that, that bull rush that came from the left side. But he was under pressure for the interception, had to throw off his back foot. It was a little short and got picked off. If he hits Ali on that deep post, 
that's a touchdown. I mean, Ollie's open. He splits the safety in the DB. It's well executed. Uh, but that pressure really had a big impact on Hayden and what he wanted to do back there. I, I want to add that Marion Granger was getting a run late in the game. And you might not have seen it on TV, but that dude can cook. Like, if Hayden had any time at all uh, late in the game, Marion Granger is, has the, the ECU defense dead to rights, deep, um, two plays in a row. But one of them was a strip sack, and then um, the other play, I think we ended up throwing it somewhere else. But someone, I think it was Justin, tapped me and said, Who, who's Fox? That guy is fast. And uh, it's going to be exciting to see how we can use him moving forward because if we can have another burner on the field um, – while people are paying attention to Ali and Zach, we might actually have something brewing there. We saw we saw it in the open scrimmage. Hayden had a really nice rapport with him. It must have been a fifty or fifty-five yard touchdown strike, uh, going down the left side of the field and then breaking to the inside or to the towards the middle of the field, catching it in stride. He he's he's definitely a burner. Yeah, and, and one more note here on the offense. I just want to do a, a quick comparison on Hayden Wolf because I, I know that there are some, some geniuses out there all over him uh, for, for the game on Saturday. Uh, so Hayden Wolf, 18 for 29, 275, three touchdowns and an interception. Last week, Devin Leary, uh, who I believe was second team all ACC last year, uh, you know, he is breaking all of Phillip Rivers' Records at, at North Carolina State, arguably top two, if not top three quarterback in the ACC. Face that same defense. Leary, 17 for 33, 211, a touchdown and an interception. So Hayden Wolf actually outperformed someone who's going to be a top three ACC quarterback against the same defense in Greenville. It wasn't raining when Devin Leary was playing down there either. So you have to give some credit to ECU's defense and what they were able to do to put pressure on Hayden, but he still significantly outperformed a really strong ACC quarterback. Yeah, there was a, there's a lot of issues last night, and I don't think Hayden's really one that we need to focus on, uh, other than if we're going to just compliment him for how hard he played last night. I hope he got a nice ice bath today because he took some huge shots, stayed in there. We'd all love to see him run a little bit more. There weren't many opportunities. I think I saw one on uh, kind of a, a swing pass that went out to Blake for negative yardage where the whole left side of the field was open. But the play is designed to go that way. They were on him so quick in the in the backfield. There's, there's really not much you can do there from a running perspective. Someone did ask me, uh, is the fake handoff necessary in this offense? Uh, it's an RPO. Without the fake handoff, it's not an RPO. But maybe we could have some design pass plays that are not faking the handoff ball. I guess I it's know. just a PO at that point, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say it, it did result in some good pass plays for us. So there were times where he pulled that ball back and hit someone down the field and it was open. Um, if you have a running game that's functional, that fake handoff freezes someone on the defense who is who you're making the read off of. So it eliminate it, it puts them down to ten on defense. So it's it's definitely needed. Um, I think when Blake Watson's getting twenty carries in a buck ten, uh, you're going to see Ollie Jennings even more open, Coons open, Bly open. 
Uh, you, you talked about uh, Marion Granger getting on the field. I saw Kikwata get some get some good snaps out there as well. Uh, there, there's talent there if you can fix the offensive line and give Hayden a little bit of time. This whole offense changes. All the things we talked about that went wrong with the run game, pass game, sacks, fumbles, all of that goes away. And if you just got to fix that up front, I mean, that's you. If you got a leak in your house, you don't scream at the drywall because it's getting a water stain. You go find the pipe that's leaking, and that's where the pipe is leaking right now. Um, one other thing I'd like to focus on fixing is uh, Tobias Harris is getting picked on a little bit with his size difference. Um, on one specific drive, he gets frustrated, and he gets a penalty out of bounds. Uh, that's something that we just can't do, not especially in a tough game like that. We can't give away free, free yards. And I, I know they're kids or they're young men. You get frustrated. The heat of the moment takes 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 control of you. But that's something that just can't happen moving forward. Uh, I, I I think he'll learn from it. He's a pretty smart kid. Obviously, he wouldn't have as many interceptions and be where he is if he wasn't pretty smart. But that's something that just can't happen before. Yeah. Um, their receivers are big and physical, too. Um, yeah. Those so, are some athletes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. Winstead made some amazing catches. Uh, he is a really good wide receiver. Made some big third down catches. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm sure Tobias Harris was frustrated because they're in the zone and he's kind of in the back part of it and they were throwing underneath him. Uh, East Carolina offensively, at least early on, kind of copied what Tech did to hit those 5, 10, 15-yard out routes and get in between the levels of the zone. Uh, that's that's really where where they targeted. And, you know, that's going to be frustrating. You're as a DB. You've got to back up and guard against the deep, and then someone keeps cutting in front of you. But, yeah, you've got to, got to clean up the penalties. Um, you're going to have a lot more mismatches next week with that wide receiver court UVA. So, going to need to make some adjustments and just keep playing disciplined football. So, Gary, you had a chance to watch some UVA tape today. Uh, obviously, me and Aaron were recovering from a late night home and celebrating a little bit of the NFL being back, so we didn't have a chance to watch. What can you tell us about this UVA team? Um, uh, I, I can tell you that both teams probably want to burn the game film from Illinois UVA. My eyes hurt from watching it. Uh, it was it was a pretty bad football game. It was probably the worst I've seen UVA play in, in a couple years. Um, Illinois had four turnovers in the first half. UVA was only able to get three points out of it. They went up three nothing. They ended up losing the game twenty four to three. Illinois fumbled at their own goal line going in. Uh, it, it was. Really, everything went wrong for Illinois, and they still ended up winning by by three touchdowns. Um, UVA just really struggled to move the football. Uh, they lost all five starters off their offensive line from last year, and it showed. Illinois was blowing them up on really every every single play. Uh, brought a lot of late pressure on Brennan Armstrong, uh, who is is a great quarterback. I mean, the the things he did last year only played eleven games and had forty five hundred yards passing. He is a great weapon. Uh, but they struggled to protect him. Uh, he ended up you know, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, got hit a lot. Uh, that UVA offense has some problems. I think they knew that they were going to have some problems coming in. New system, uh, but you still have the same quarterback, but it, there, there's not much in front of them. Uh, I'll tell you 
at the wide receiver position, they've got some studs. Uh, Davis, he's a six foot seven junior, uh, missed all of last year because of injury. Um, but I mean, he was second in the country in yards for reception in 2020. You want to talk about a mismatch, a six, seven wide receiver, possibly going up against five, eight, five, nine quarters. Uh, that that's going to be problematic for us. Um, Dontavian Wicks, who is their other wide receiver, first team all ACC last year and is currently the team single season receiving yard record holder at UVA. They've got some weapons at wide receiver. Um, really, if they can protect Brennan Armstrong, uh, they're going to be able to move the ball down the field through the air. Don't have much for a run game. They're, they don't have much there. Brennan Armstrong is probably their best runner out of the backfield. Uh, but if you give him time, he will pick you apart. So similar to what you saw against ECU on first and second down with the pressure, that's what we're going to have to do to shut down their offense. And we're going to need to bring it all three downs, make Brennan Armstrong get out of the pocket, uh, and, and try to put some sort of bracket on that 6-7 monster on the outside. Aaron, you got anything? No, man, I didn't get to watch the game at all. Um, <laughs> oh, so I, 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 saw, I saw a tweet online that was, I assume is dripping with hyperbole, but they said, Tony Elliott ruined Brendan Armstrong. <laughs> it, it made me laugh and it made me hopeful at the same time. I'm sure they're being sarcastic and just like self-effacing UVA fan, but that's a pretty serious allegation. <laughs> yeah, they are running more of a pistol style offense and it's a little bit different um i also think you know, they've got two games under their belt now with how they run their offense so it's probably going to improve the offensive line is going to be getting a little bit better uh so i, I wouldn't say like you throw the season in the trash can if you're uva because it's one game at illinois uh but i mean they had 222 yards of total offense 42 on the ground 180 net passing through the air they were one for 16 on third down they were one for four on fourth down uh offensively they've they've got some big problems if our strength is defense load it up go after them make make them beat you with some sort of crazy deep pass down the field because uh, i think you can get to brennan armstrong quite a bit uh looking at uva defensively they were a terrible defense last year they gave up a boatload of yards and a boatload of points they are a little bit better this season um they, they did lose some weapons on that side but they do have some players that can go uh, one thing I want to point to, they get up 330 yards to U of R, which doesn't sound that bad until you realize that U of R is probably not a good football team. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see if we are able to move the ball more successfully against UVA because they are the third best defense we have seen this season. Uh, it's not going to be like Tech, not going to be like ECU. Should be able to do better protection, establish a better run game. I think the, the most important thing for ODU in this game, protect the football. Illinois turned it over four times and a half. UVA only got three points off of it. But there's no way to say that we'll be that successful if we turn the ball over. If we're looking at maybe one turnover for the entire game, make some plays on special teams. Like I feel more confident going into this game with UVA than I did with Tech and definitely better than I felt going into East Carolina. Um, also, UVA had all kinds of problems from a special teams perspective. They tried to feel the punt inside the five. Uh, it just turned into a nightmare. Uh, they did not cover well on punt returns. So Lamarian James, I'd love to see him get more involved in the return game there from, from kicks and punts. Um, it, One note is, there. Sorry to cut you off. 
So all night, Lamarion's back to receive kicks, and Isaiah Spencer is to his left. Uh, they kicked it to Lamarion once or twice, but they just kept kicking it and picking out Isaiah over and over again. I kept wondering, well, what's stopping Lamarion from just running those five yards, catching the ball, and following Isaiah to the promised land? Um, also, why are we? Why don't we just have two dudes back there that can return it? Well, um, there was one last night, Mike, where the the ball was kicked had a ton of hang time, and Lamarion ran all the way over, and I'm sure he was yelling like, "I got it, I got it," almost like a center fielder. And I don't think uh, I think it was Isaiah probably didn't hear him. He was probably just really concentrating to catch the ball, called for the fair catch, and Lamarion, you could tell, was kind of like, "Dude." You know, like I'm right here. So, yeah, we we really got to get him some opportunity. I mean, he got bottled up the couple opportunities he had to, to run. Uh, he looked like he was frustrated on one of them. Like he saw a hole and it just he just couldn't quite get there. But he's so explosive. Um, you know, perhaps next week he can blow something open. But by having Spencer back there, you're giving them an easy out to avoid a kick returner returning it. If we have two kick returners back there, they're either going to kick it even shorter to one of the blockers, or they're going to kick it deep and give us the the touchback, which is fine with me. I'm just wondering maybe, I don't know, just thinking out loud right now. Yeah, I, I think last night was a combo of ECU had pretty good coverage and pretty good angled kicks to keep away from the weapons. And then also the field is really wet. So why risk it when you can just fair catch and go start at 20 or, or stand where you are rather than risk a fumble, risk a block in the back that sets you back even farther. I think the, the weather played a, a factor there plus ECU's coverage. And you look down the field on some of those fair catches, we're like, why in the world are we not returning this? And then you see that ECU has three guys unguarded basically surrounding whoever was going to field that. Um, you know, hopefully we get some good weather. Uh, you know, UVA is a natural surface as well. So, you know, rain is going to make it, make it pretty nasty. Uh, one other note I want to throw in about UVA's defense that is going to kind of lead to a breakout game, I think, for Zach Koontz. They struggled to cover people that were not receivers. They gave up a big touchdown to a tight end, huge pass play to a fullback. Like anytime you see someone wearing number 45, catching a ball and running down the field unguarded, like, that's a problem. Um, so I, I think that this could be a game for Zach Koontz to really break out. There's going to be focus on Ali. I think we're going to have better protection, give Hayden more time, we're going to be able to establish a run game, and Zach Koontz is going to get free. So I, I'm, I'm not going to make any yardage projections here, but I think that this is a game that Zach Koontz comes back on the radar and makes people remember why he should be a first or second round draft pick. So early forecast. I hate looking at the forecast this early because it's just not reliable at all. But sunny, 80 degrees, no chance of rain. We look good right now. Hopefully that that stays. Uh, That would be good. Uh, I saw the the early lines came out. UVA is a 12-point favorite. I think it's probably over under at 55 and a half. Um, A little surprised to see UVA getting 12 points um, after this this game at Illinois. Um, Yeah. Maybe they, the, the, the bookmakers just don't think we have the offense and, and can roll. Um, but if, if we can plug that middle, I think Old Dominion can win this game. Uh, the over-under, I think, is like right on the money. Like 
there, there's two scenarios that play out here. We win by some close field goal late, or we absolutely beat the dog shit out of UVA. Like that could very well happen. <laughs> I want to choose B. <laughs> yeah, I would very much like B. I'm going up, spending some time with family that all loves UVA, and I do not want to hear anything about. Sorry, Mike. Sorry, uh, sorry you didn't have fun last night. Um, secondly, I want to note that Richmond yesterday, we, we talked about how, how well they played UVA. At halftime, they were leading St. Francis, Pennsylvania, 14 to 13. At the end of the third quarter, they were leading 17 to 13. They needed an explosive fourth quarter to pull away to St. Francis, Pennsylvania, which I only know that's a school because of the bottom line on ESPN. Well, I appreciate you saying the Pennsylvania part to let me know where it was. Well, it's always in their name. It says St. Francis, PA. I have no idea where in Pennsylvania it is, but it's in Pennsylvania. I, I know that they are the red flash, and uh, they are not very good football. So um, that is you just what you hope doesn't happen is that this is UVA's get right game. Like I, as much as it sucked losing to East Carolina and getting beat in a lot of ways, I think that we are refocusing this week. There's a lot of things to work on. Going to be looking at a lot of film. Like you know, this team watches a lot of film anyway and makes a lot of adjustments. But I think even more so after a loss. So if we were two and zero going into UVA, I think UVA is more pumped up. Like, oh crap, we're playing a two and zero ODU team that, that beat Tech and beat East Carolina. They may be a, a little more lax. They have to turn around and play again on Friday in the Carrier Dome against Syracuse, who beat the brakes off of Louisville. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I, I think, you know, always want to win, right? It'd be great to be 2-0. and We knew this out-of-conference schedule was going to be absolute hell. But being 1-1, one and one, coming off a loss, refocusing, making changes, making adjustments may give us a little bit more of that surprise factor against UVA. Uh, and maybe they, maybe UVA sleeps on us a little bit and thinks, oh, well, thank God we don't have to play Illinois again. Uh, <laughs> you know, probably think, oh, great, Old Dominion is coming to town. But yeah, I think any UVA fan will remember how that last game went against ODU in Charlottesville, and you know, minus a punt from our own end zone with the lead, we probably win that ball game. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this game. It's, it's a big game. I think this is the opportunity for ODU to get right on a few things. One being the ability to have a couple sustained drives. Second one, getting Zach involved in the offense. Obviously, he is involved in the offense, but. Um, Getting him, getting him some catches, getting him some yards, which will further open up things for our other guys. Also, to grab some momentum going into our first Sun Belt game with Arkansas State coming the following week to home. Be nice to kind of have all facets of the game kind of clicking um, at that point. So I'm interested in seeing. We saw a lot of shuffling of the offensive line last year. Part of that was due to injuries. We saw a lot of shuffling, and then we finally found that right mix, uh, and we kind of stayed stable with that moving forward. I'm interested to see if there's any changes this week or if they're just going to focus on scheme and what they are doing right and what they're doing wrong. Um, I think that will tell us a lot when we see that depth chart come out on Wednesday, but we haven't seen it yet. I'll also add, you said 12 points. Seems like a big, big number considering how they've performed. Um, I mean, it's the opening line. It's one to entice more bets, right? So, are y'all looking at it right now? 
What? The line. No, it came out earlier today. Okay, because I'm seeing ten and a half. I could be looking at some old. So that's that's exactly what I was about to say. A 12-point spread was introduced. That was the original open spread. That is the initial spread is to entice more bets. So it's either low and people are going to push it higher or it's high and it's going to be pushed low or they did it wrong and it's going to stay where it is. Um, so I, I'd imagine we're going to see a big swing the other direction. So last week, all the money was on ECU. The gamblers loved that line. This week, I think it's going to be on ODU. Because that, that's a big number. Um, for for legal reasons, obviously, us in Virginia cannot bet on this game because it's ODU in Virginia. Um, I would love to be someone holding Old Dominion plus 12 right now because uh, I think that line ends up being probably nine, nine and a half uh, to try to get some action going the other way. But we'll we'll see. Uh, but, you, you know, you brought up Arkansas State. I thought they, uh, they gave Ohio State a shot uh, early on. But I can't end this podcast without talking about the Sunbelt East and how many P5 bodies are piling up in the Sunbelt East. Scott Frost is now, you know, buried under the Statesboro uh, field down there at Georgia Southern. What a weekend for the Sun Belt. Can, can anyone remind me why we should go back to the CAA or Conference USA? Cause I, can't. um, no, I, I think <laughs> yeah. I heard the last time, uh, two conference mates in a mid major beat top 10 opponents was like 2003 it was i believe it was the mac marshall beat someone and someone else in the mac beat someone else but kind of kind of crazy that marshall's involved with both in the that big time span but dude georgia yeah. state almost beat unc yeah almost horseshoes and handcuffs right hand grenades uh, hand grenades hand, <laughs> no it's um it, it's why yeah, i mean you look at georgia state they lost you know, uh, they were in the game with South Carolina two weeks ago, had a couple of special teams malfunctions and lost that. Were lost by seven to UNC, had chances to win that game. Uh, you know, App State last week loses a shootout to UNC, goes to College Station. And let me tell you how happy it makes me to see all the Aggies go home with their massive, you know, paid to their coach, all their NIL deals, their top recruiting class. App State goes in there and just freaking pantses them. Uh, it's it's awesome. Uh, you know, we we talked about like kind of on the season preview how good our division is, and I'm sure some people will be like, oh yeah, it's a good division. It's definitely better than the Conference USA. Like there could be ranked teams that we are playing on a regular basis now. Game day is going down to Boone. They started drinking sometime before that A and M game, and they're probably not going to stop till sometime Sunday afternoon when they're all in the drunk tank together. Uh, the the Sun Belt East is a force to be reckoned with going forward. Oh, and in my defense, uh, close does really count with handcuffs. That's true. Stay, I mean, <laughs> if you get one of them on there. If you get close to handcuffs and it doesn't happen, hey, it's a good night. I will have to verify that with Harry and Brent. I think they may have a different opinion on being close with handcuffs. All right, fellas. So I guess this is where we do our predictions. Aaron, do you want to kick us off? We want to let Gary. Well, I mean. Last week, I said that Ethan Sanchez was going to win the game late with a 50-yard field goal. So I was. It was a very bold. <laughs> it was. It was bold. 
Uh, I will say that he looks very good. He just didn't have the opportunity to win that game. Um, I think we go into Charlottesville. I think we get right. I don't think there's going to be a ton of scoring. Maybe you know, 24-21 ODU. Uh, I really do think that we win this game. We go 2-0 in Virginia, and we have a nice little momentum going into the A-State game. I'm I'm going to go a little bit different from you here, Aaron. Uh, I'm going to say 34 to 10, Old Dominion beats the brakes off of UVA. Defense gets right for ODU, three, four turnovers, four, five sacks. Offense also gets right against the easiest defense they've played this year. Hayden Wolf looks like a champ. Someone has to read me a DM they sent me last night, and we're going to be partying well into the early part of the third quarter. I know that DM. I'm not going to say what it is, but I so hope that you are right and I am wrong. All right. I'm going to say I am ready for us to beat a P5 that's not Virginia Tech. Let's make it happen. I also have been to quite a few afternoon games in Charlottesville, and that crowd can get very sleepy. Like they need they need a coffee. They need something to get them up out of their seats. And it's not going to happen this week because they're going to be upset and they're going to be walking out the door because Gary is right. ODU is going to blow through the doors and take home the Commonwealth Cup for ODU's rights. We're going to destroy it, of course. We're going to burn it with all the couches on Killam and Powhatan, but it'll be ours for the next year. And it's melted glory. ODU, 32 UVA seven. Let's go. Dude, can we change the cup to have a couch on top? It's it's gonna be a burned out lime scooter. <laughs> I tell you what, I've I've spent a lot of time at Scott Stadium in my days for a lot of football games. Uh this has the feel of that Boise night Friday night game that UVA had several years ago where all hyped up, there were some fans there early. Boise was up like 24 to nothing before the end of the first quarter. That's the feel that I get. Our guys are going to be amped. They want to get right from ECU. They know that it does not get any easier from here. Like Liberty is going to be tough. Like they just beat UAB, who is tough. We have no easy games on the schedule. Somehow, some way, the second ACC team on our schedule on paper looks like the easiest game we have left remaining, which is pure insanity. Let's, let's remind everyone that a lot of these kids were interested in playing at Virginia Tech and UVA growing up. They didn't get that opportunity. Or maybe they did, a handful of them did, and they still chose ODU. But a lot of them wanted to be there, and they're, they're at ODU. And I think they'd be extra motivated to prove to them why they belong at this level and why they missed out. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait to celebrate with both of you after ODU wins this. Tickets still available. We'll be rolling deep. Head over to Charlottesville on Saturday. That's right. Ready to go. Hopefully the food in Charlottesville will be as good as Parker's was in Greenville. Uh, I doubt it, but go to Bodo's, get a good bagel, and uh, check out Wayside if you have a moment. We'll have more on restaurants and things to do in Charlottesville on Wednesday uh, when we interview Greg Medea. Thank you for tuning in tonight, and go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs.